of interesting. I'd like to encourage those that are, you know, sometimes life isn't good to us. Sometimes we find a place, a little oasis of life, and we stay there. Sometimes it's down in a well. But there's fresh water there, and, you know, it seems like we have everything we need. But, you know, the frog in the well will never know about the great ocean shore. And I want to encourage you to get out. Get out and and get busy. Do the things that the Scripture uh, tells us and, and things that your hands find to do. Do them with all your might. Another encouraging thing, just when you're attempting to do things, sometimes you fail. But remember, even monkeys fall out of trees. Get up and go again. This other one I kind of like. It's uh, at night one dog barks at nothing and 10,000 dogs proclaim its truth. (laughs) (laughs) Have you ever noticed that really? A neighbor's dog barks and every dog in the neighborhood barks. And this last one, I, I really like it. You can endure any pain for three years as long as it's happening to someone else. Father, in Jesus' name, I ask your blessing upon the word that you have given me tonight, Lord. Holy Spirit, help me to preach it. Help me to teach it. Help me to speak it according to your plan and your purpose. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. In the book of Romans, chapter 8, beginning with verse 2. For the law of the Spirit of life, which is in Christ Jesus the law of the new being has freed me from the law of sin and death. The law here is not referring to the Mosaic law, but to the governing force of life. Life always triumphs over death. And Paul is saying the law of the spirit of life that's in Christ Jesus has freed me, has made me a free person. In Romans chapter 4, verse 13 through 21 for the promise of Abraham or his uh, his posterity that he should inherit the world did not come through observing the commands of the law but through the righteousness of faith verse 14 if it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs then faith is made futile and empty of all meaning, and the promise of God is made void, that is annulled, and has no power. Number verse 15. For the law results in divine wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression of it either. I like this, because I have just discovered that in Christ Jesus, he has fulfilled the law, there is no law to break. Praise the Lord. See, I was raised in a church where every Sunday night we went to the altar to repent of some stupid thing that we probably be done during the week. It may not have been any great thing, but Sunday night, if you weren't in church, it was because you were backslidden. 
and you better get... <laughs> he concurs, uh, probably from the same denomination. <laughs> so Sunday night, when they gave the altar call, we had to be at the altar to get rid of those things. And then one day, I was driving from North Powder, Oregon, or Baker, Oregon, to North Powder. I had a Bible study there. I taught it for eight years to just a little old group of old ladies. Somebody said, what in the world are you going down there and teaching? You got five or six old ladies. Most we ever had was 12. I said, you know, if somebody don't go down and teach them, they won't have any, any uh, spiritual food because they can't get out to the house of God. So I was doing this, and while I was driving, the Lord gave me a verse, and I mauled over that verse. I groveled over that. I wrestled with it. It's in the book of John. And it says, Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. And I thought, oh God, there's got to be an error there. How can he take away the sin? I've got a bunch of it here on my shoulder that I got to, can't wait till Sunday night to go get rid of. And then God began to deal in my, uh, with me in my heart about the freedom from the law, the freedom from sin. Let's pick up with verse 16. Therefore, inheriting the promise is the outcome of faith and depends entirely on faith in order that it might be given as an act of grace, unmerited, unmerited favor, to make it stable and valid and guaranteed to all his descendants, not only to the devotees and adherents of the law, but also to those who share the faith of Abraham, who is thus the father of us all. Now verse 17 as it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. He was appointed our father in the sight of God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and speaks of the non-existent things that he has foretold and promised as if they already existed. Verse 18, for Abraham, human reason for hope, being gone, hoped in faith, that he should become the father of many nations as he had been promised so numberless shall your descendants be notice hope was gone and yet he hoped in faith hope was gone he hoped against hope there was no reason for that hope stop and think about that for a minute he was 90 years old when the promise was given to him his wife was about 10 years younger. Now, she had not had a period probably for 50 years. And now they're going to have a son? How can this thing be? Well, Abraham says, well, I'm willing, but how is it going to happen? Sarah laughed. She said, my God, <laughs> it can't be me. But the book of Hebrews tells us that by faith, Sarah received strength to conceive seed, and she bore a son when she was past the age because she judged him faithful who had promised. And from one man, and him as good as dead, were born as many as the stars in the sky in multitude, as innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. Ninety-year-old woman, hundred-year-old man, now they're the proud parents of a baby, a little Isaac. 
He did not weaken, verse 19, he did not weaken in faith when he considered uh, the utter impotence of his own body, which was as good as dead, because he was about a hundred years old. When he considered the barrenness of Sarah's deadened womb. But God give life. There's a real truth in there. When God changed Abraham's name, his name was Abram. And God added Yah. See, uh, Psalm 68 tells us that uh, exalt him who rides upon the wind by his name Yah. And God put the Yah in Abraham and there was life. Sarah, it was Sari. And God put Yah with her and she became Sariah. And she had life. When the Spirit of the living God comes into your life, you can have life. You can have an abundant life and you can have an overcoming life. Life enough to get up out of that well and see the ocean shores. No unbelief or distrust made him waver, doubtingly question, concerning the promise of God. I'm on verse 20. But he grew strong and was empowered by faith as he gave praise and glory to God. I, this we don't have on the screen. I would just like to share it with you, though. And those of you who have Bibles, you might want to write this down. Psalms chapter 8, verse... I got two here, but I know that's not right. Yep, it is. <laughs> you know, it's better to think you're wrong and not me. <laughs> Out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants, you have ordained strength. Old Testament. Now, let's move over to Matthew twenty-one sixteen, And this is a nugget for you that you can live with. 21.16. Now Jesus is talking when the crowd is, is worshiping God and giving praise. And they're telling him, hey, th these people need to be quiet. And Jesus says, have you not read out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants? You have perfected praise. Jesus equates praise with strength. Think of it. When you get into a problem, begin to praise him. That's strength. You get into a problem, in the middle of the night, begin to praise him. You begin to give thanks for that problem in your physical body. That's strength. That will, that's what Abraham was doing. Now, we find this. Verse 20, But he grew strong and was empowered by faith as he, what? Gave praise and glory to God. It's now easier to see how the 100-year-old man and the 90-year-old woman had a, a child. As they begin to praise God, God put life within them. And here is what faith is. You know, we, we quote uh, Hebrews chapter 11 says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. That is really the mechanics of faith. You want to find out what faith really is, go to this uh, Romans chapter 4, verse 21. And this is what faith is. 
And while you're looking for it, I'm going to tell you something. Faith is a noun. A noun is the name of a person, place, or thing. But belief is a verb. That's action. And did you know John, the Apostle John wrote, uh, Big John, the, uh, what do we call that? Gospel of John, okay. Then 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, and the book of Revelations, five books. Not one time in any of John's writings did he ever use the word faith. Did you know that? He used belief. Belief. Here's what Abraham, he was fully satisfied and assured that God was able and mighty to keep his word and to do what he had promised. Do you believe that this evening? Do you believe God is able to do what he has promised to do? Then that's faith. And we need to start thanking him for that faith. Thank him for it. Whatever the problem is, whether it's a physical uh, ailment in the body, give him thanks. Whether it's a financial ailment, give him thanks. Whether it's a problem on the job, give him thanks. I had the testimony of a man that I talked with earlier uh, this month about a problem on the job, and we decided we would pray and give God thanks. And he told me tonight that God had worked out the problem. Well, was it my prayer? No. Was it his prayer? No. Well, it was God that did it. When you turn your faith to God, God begins to work. Now, it seems there is a law for just about everything. The law of gravity, law of fire, uh, that is friendly and unfriendly fires. You know what those are, Vince? An unfriendly fire is one that isn't contained. Backdraft, you know about that, too. How about the law of sowing and reaping? How, the law of aerodynamics. Now, the law of aerodynamics doesn't negate the law of gravity. It overcomes gravity with a higher law, such as the law of lift, airspeed, airflow, propulsion, drag reduction, and wing surface or body surface. And you know, when I, was, uh, I took aviation in college, one of the instructors said, uh, maybe I'm attributing to an instructor and it wasn't, but somebody said, even a rock will fly if you have enough power. I thought, whoa, that's profound, isn't it? We can just about blast anything in space if you've got enough power. Likewise, in Christ, the law of sin and death are still in force. They are in the lower plane of the kingdom of darkness. Colossians 1.13 tells us, The Father has delivered us and drawn us to himself out of the control and dominion of darkness and had transferred us into the kingdom of the Son of His love. And King James, the New King James says, has translated us. And it literally means picked up from one area and put into another area. Where now, those of you that are in Christ Jesus live in a totally different realm. We have a new economy. We have a new uh, financial status. We have new language, vocabulary. Because he has delivered us from that lower plane. Now, in that lower plane, the law of sin and death is still in force. But the Father has drawn us to himself, had taken us out of control. Oh, I like that. 
Look at that word there. Out of control and dominion of darkness and transferred us. Out of control. The devil doesn't have any power over your life. And do you know something? There's no one sick in heaven. Jesus, when he rose from the dead, did not have a cold. He had no allergies. In fact, as he didn't have any before he went in the grave either. But you know, when you and I were crucified with him, we had a lot of those things that went down into the grave. And praise God that we left them there. We're translated out of the dominion, out of the, the control, out of the power of darkness. And I like verse 14. It says, In whom we have redemption through his blood, which means the forgiveness of our sins. The Greek word for this redemption is apolutrosis. And apa means from, lua is from bondage or from, from uh, uh, you know, being tied or or incarcerated. And so to come from incarceration to be totally set free is redemption. We have been redeemed. I used to fish with a guy. And we, he, we'd always say, well, now you've got to really be quiet when you get, go up to the stream because those fish can hear you and, and so on. Hey, he comes tromping through the woods, breaking trees this big around, singing, Redeemed, how I love to proclaim it. He always caught as many fish as anybody else. <laughs> then in Christ, God abolished the Mosaic law and sin. Uh-oh. I may have got out here on a limb and chopped it off. Ephesians 2.15. Let's see what it says. Ephesians 2.15. By abolishing in his own crucified flesh the enmity caused by the law and its decrees and ordinances which he annulled. That he from the two might create in himself one new man, one new quality of humanity out of the two, so making peace. And I love what King James, the new King James uh, reads. Of course, you know this is Paul's version. And <laughs> uh, good enough for Paul and Jesus, good enough for me. Okay, verse 15, listen to it out of the New King James. Having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace. Abolish the law. And Hebrews 9.26, I tell you, Tracy gave me this one when he was here. Oh, hallelujah. Thank God for Pastor Tom bringing Tracy. I, uh, I went and told Tracy that night. Uh, everybody was shaking hands. I seen I didn't have a chance unless I elbowed my way in. And, and what, after God done what he did, I thought, oh, it isn't going to be right to elbow my way in, push somebody in. <laughs> so I'll just speak as I go by him. Well, as I was going out the hall, I passed him. And he stopped and shook hands. And I said, Tracy... I'm never going to be the same. And he said, that's the answer 
That's why I came to preach a gospel that people can get a hold of and never be the same. Hebrews 9.13, or 9.26, I'm sorry. He then would have had to suffer often since the foundation of the world, but now once at the end of the age, he has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Let me read it out of the Amplified. For then would he often have had to suffer over and over again since the foundation of the world, but as it is, as it now is, he has once for all at the consummation and close of the ages appeared to put away and abolish sin by his sacrifice of himself. He's taken away the sin problem. You know, I I, I told uh, my uh, uh, sister, we were talking about this, they said, you know, the thing I had against evangelists, oh, I love evangelistic meetings, especially when the Spirit of God is moving. I love to get under the spout and, you know, have the Lord just fill me. But you know, the thing I have against evangelists is they make people sin conscious. And really, it's job security because if they come and (laughs) preach a two-week revival and they don't have 30 or 40 people except the Lord, they're not going to have them back. But the thing that I have noticed, and it was kind of like, excuse me, I didn't mean to do that. Uh, The thing that I have noticed at these revival meetings, the 15 or 35 that has come to the altar at the last revival are the same ones at the revival all of this time because they're what? Sin conscious. But you don't have to be sin conscious. Jesus took care of it. Listen to Romans chapter 6 verse 6. For we know that our old unrenewed self was nailed to the cross with him in order that our body body of sin is what the King James says which is the instrument of sin might be made ineffective and inactive for evil that we might no longer be slaves to sin the King James says for we know that our our old man was crucified with him that the body of sin might be done away with that we should no longer be slaves to sin for when a man dies he is freed he's loose delivered from the power of sin Now, if, verse 8 in uh, Romans chapter 6, Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Because we know that Christ, the anointed one, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has power over him. For the death he died, he died to sin, leading to uh, uh, his relation to it, once for all, and the life he lives, he lives to God. I want to go back there to that Romans. Uh, there is a verse I want to read. For if you, uh, we've been united together. Oh, verse uh, 5. Here's a verse for healing if you need it. For if we've been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. I'm on verse 5. I, I'm sorry I threw you a curve. Romans 6, verse 5. For if we've been united together in the likeness of his death, were you in the likeness of his death? Yes, I was. See, God made him sin, him that knew no sin, to be sin for us. He took 
us on his body and went down into the grave and come out victorious that we might be the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. For if we've been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Hebrews 8.13 When God speaks of a new covenant or agreement, he makes the first one obsolete, out of use. And what is obsolete, out of use, and annulled because of age is ripe for disappearance and to be dispensed with altogether. You see, the law came to reveal sin so that we might understand and know that you could not help enough little old ladies across the street to gain favor in, uh, in heaven or, or entrance into heaven. You couldn't tithe enough. You couldn't be in church enough. You could not work enough works to gain entrance into heaven. That's why the law came. So we could strive against it. And we would find out that if we were against a brick wall. But you know, every time you read in the law, there is a reminder of sin in it. I had a person tell me, well, I read the law and they don't remind me of sin. Let's pull a little experiment. I do this in the college class. I want everybody here now, I don't want you to think, put it clear out of your mind, I don't want you to think about a little red fire truck going down Clearwater with its sirens blasting and the red lights blinking and the fireman hanging on the back with his hat on and there's a Dalmatian dog sitting in the front seat. Now don't think about that. What are you thinking about? A little red fire truck, aren't you? Every time you read about sin in the, in the uh, scripture, reading the law, it reminded you of sin. You say, oh, well, there's something I haven't done for a couple weeks. So we go out and do it. <laughs> now, now, don't laugh. You know what I'm talking about. Galatians 2.19 for I, through the law, under the operation of the curse of the law, have in Christ's death for me, myself died to the law and all the law's demands upon me, so that I henceforth live to and for God. 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty six and 57. Now sin is the sting of death and sin exercise its power upon the soul through the abuse or the breaking, actually is what that means, the breaking of the law. When you break the law, the power of the law comes upon you and the power of sin. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory, making us conquerors through our Lord Jesus Christ. Here Paul is addressing the Corinthian church who is having problems separating right from wrong. Many were gravitating back to the law and back to, for the lack of understanding of their standing in Christ, back to their old ways of life. That's why he directs his attention to sin's power in the law, to get their eyes and their mind often trying to earn their salvation by the things that you do. Did you know that to whom you present yourself slaves to obey, you are that's one slave to which you obey? 
That's scripture. Romans 6, 16. <clears throat> but we find that there's actually, I'm going to touch on this just a moment, two kinds of faith. There's a faith that comes by sense knowledge, that is, touch, feel, taste, hear, uh, what's the other one, sight. And so if we don't see it, we don't touch it, we don't feel it, we don't hear it, then it doesn't happen. Then there is the kind of faith that takes the promise of God's word and buries that in the, that promise, that take their faith and they bury that promise in God's promise and it brings forth a harvest. We find also, boy, this could be very controversial, so... Uh, Maybe I better not get into it. <laughs> Have you ever noticed that in Paul's writings, you see, Paul wrote the first book of the New Testament, 1 Thessalonians, approximately 50 A.D. The first of the Gospels was written 65 A.D. That was the book of Mark. And yet Paul had written all of his uh, epistles with the revelation that God gave him, and not one of the Gospels makes mention of any of Paul's revelation. Not one of them. And yet they were all written after. You say, well, maybe they didn't know. Huh? Luke was Paul's yeoman. He traveled with him. He was Lucas the physician. Well, he ministered uh, with Paul. He probably was stoned and maybe beaten with Paul. But when he writes his gospel, he doesn't mention anything about the revelation that Paul had. Have you ever asked yourself, well, I wonder why that would be? Well, I'm just about ready to tell you. <laughs> the reason for that is because the gospels was written to people under the law. Jesus, his works, he was coming to show them, to teach them that their works under the law was fruitless. And so when Paul comes with his revelation, he doesn't face that. He's facing a whole new group of people, mostly uh, Gentiles, that had never believed under the law. And so he gives the revelation that what God has given to him, and these people grew and flourished. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3 and 6. Yeah, I know that probably was a very brief synopsis of it, but I don't feel I have time to go into it in any depth right now. But 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 6. For though we walk, live in the flesh, we do not carry on our warfare according to the flesh and using mere human weapons. For the weapons of our warfare are not physical weapons of flesh and blood, but they are mighty before God for the overthrow and destruction of strongholds. Now here we are. If you've got a stronghold in your life and you can't seem to break loose from it, here is the answer. You have the power in Jesus' name because he has supplied you with the weapons of a warfare that will conquer all of the, the problems of Satan. Every problem. And sin shall not have dominion over you because you're not under law, you're under grace. 
Inasmuch as we refute argument and theories and reasonings and every proud and lofty thing that sets itself against the true knowledge of God, and we lead every thought and purpose away captive into the obedience of Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One, being in readiness to punish every insubordinate for his disobedience when our own submission and obedience as a church are fully secured and complete. I'm sure that many people haven't ever read that. What are weapons of our warfare? Are not carnal, but they're mighty through God. To pulling down strongholds. Casting down an imagination. You got a son or a daughter that's on drugs. Hey, use the weapons of your warfare. Cast down that imagination. My wife and I attended in college a uh, class. In fact, is... Uh, uh, Excuse me, I can't even say your name. Vince's wife. Yavoria, okay. She was in the same class when Dr. Dutch Sheets taught us on intercessory prayer. Forgive me, Yavoria. This happens when you get over 29. (laughs) You're going to find it start happening to you too when you get up to 29. But we took the teachings in intercessory prayer and applied them under the, the steps that he gave us in First and Second Corinthians. I mean, uh, uh, first, Second Corinthians 10, 4 through 6. And we applied them. And he said, continue to apply them till you see fruit. Don't stop until you see the fruit, just because something changes. We had an individual that we were praying specifically for, and this person had flat out said, I am not interested in serving God. I don't want anything to do with your religion. So my wife and I said, let's take Dutch's challenge. 30 days, he said, if we would pray and every day pull down those strongholds of the enemy that we were going to level this. And do you know, in three weeks, we were sitting in a a church service one morning and we saw an individual come up and go to the altar. And I said to my wife, did you see who that was? She said, I don't want to look. I said, it was Sister Poodsill. There's the altar. And do you know, Sister Sill laid out before God, he knocked her flat for probably an hour and a half. And when we got up, we, like neighbors, go over and kind of offer the milk toast hand of fellowship. Say, this was really awesome this morning. She said, awesome! I saw God in a way I've never seen him before. And you know, things have never been the same in Sister Poodsill's life. I can tell you that the Scripture works. 1 Peter 2, 7 through 14. To you then who believe, who adhere to, trust in, and rely on Him is the preciousness. But for those who disbelieve, it is true. The very stone which the builders rejected has become the main cornerstone. 
Okay? A stone that will cause stumbling and a rock that will give men offense. They stumble because they disobey and, and disbelieve God's word. As those who reject him were destined or appointed to do. But, number nine. Oh, I love this one. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a dedicated nation, God's own purchased possession. Hallelujah. Special people that you may set forth the wonderful deeds and display the virtues and the perfections of him who called you out of darkness, translated you out of the kingdom of darkness into his marvelous light. Praise the name of the Lord. Once you were not a people at all, but now you are God's people. Once you were not pitied, but now you are pitied and have received mercy. And I'm going on to verse 11. Beloved, I implore you as aliens and strangers and exiles in this world to abstain from the sensual urges, the evil desires and passions of the flesh, your lower nature and wage war, that wage war against the soul. Verse 12, but conduct yourself honorably, righteously among the Gentiles, so that although you may slander, they may slander you as evildoers, yet they may be witnessing your good deeds. Come to glorify God in the day of inspection when God shall look upon you wanders as a pastor or a shepherd looks on his flock. Be submissive to every human uh, institution and authority for the sake of the Lord, whether it be to the emperor as supreme, verse 14, or to governors as sent by him to bring vengeance, punishment, justice to those who do wrong and to encourage those who do good service. I'm going to leave you this one last thought. The only sin that man will be judged for. There's only one. And that sin is rejecting Jesus Christ. You reject him, there is no hope. I believe that's what the scripture calls the unpardonable sin. You don't have to concur with that, but the only sin you're going to be judged for is rejecting Jesus. Would you bow your head in prayer with me? Father, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, I thank you for the word, your word, Lord, not mine, but your word that we read tonight, and, and Lord, that it's so powerful, it's so uh, quick and, and energy-filled, Lord, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of the soul and the spirit. Father, I thank you for that word, and I ask you, Lord, that that word would touch the hearts of everyone here in this building tonight. And I want to ask you, no one looking, please, is there anyone here tonight that you have not accepted Jesus? You've rejected him. And you want to get that one sin cleared out. You don't want anything to stand between you and eternity. If that's you, would you just raise your hand, put it down? We're not going to make a spectacle of you.